0: Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 182 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So, first of all, I'd like to welcome all of you to part one of episode number 182 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williamson. For those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either in the Apple Podcast app or in Stitcher or in iHeartRadio or on Google Play Music or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm going to give you a prescription what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williamson, and I'm a 26 year old songwriter, sauce producer. But I'm also a 60 music fans slash experts last year. And each week of this podcast I take one song by one artist in the sixties and put the show in two parts. First part of the show talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and then do my own personal analysis on the arrangement of the song, which will include the chorus and lyrics, and the second part of the show dig deep into the history behind that track. And that part of the show talk about who wrote the song. Who produced it? What studio the song was recorded at? Talk about the session musicians that played on the song, or talk about the bimmers that played on. Talk about the history behind the songwriter wrote the song, that producer that produced it, and the year, and the peak position song made up originally originally built, but how it charts first came out, and the year and month the song was released, and the record label song history behind record label songs released on all that is in the second part of the show. Now, before we on this week's episode of the podcast, I have some exciting updates for you. So three out of the five songs are for the next EP are basically done getting mixed. There's two more that need to get mixed, but then the whole thing's done. <laughs> um, I'm a little nervous about it, to be honest with you, because I haven't heard uh, the mixes since I put my vocals down, but I will hear them very, very soon. Probably as soon as next week, so I'm, I'm definitely excited. Um, you know, I know that, you know, I'm hoping... Uh, here's the thing, so... I know that the visions of this of my songs will be honored as far as the arrangements of the songs is concerned. They're going to they're going to they're going to honor that, but they just made some slight changes to the songs so that way it, it could it could better them, but I just don't know what those changes are, so I have to hear them. So hopefully I'm cool with them, but we'll see. Um cuz I'm kind of meticulous very meticulous about how I want my songs to be recorded and whatnot. So we'll see how this works out and, you know, you know what these songs sound like when they're fully done and like i said you'll hear a couple of them if you subscribe to the premium subscription version of my podcast um hoping to do some more interviews soon but there's six of them up of them uh, up right now and you can subscribe to the to this links in the description of this episode this podcast all you do is create a username and password and then you sign up and then it will send you a confirmation email saying this is where you can, you know, listen to the podcast you just signed up for the premium subscription f- version of. So, you got to do with their Supercast. The link to that description is up to this podcast. Those who are subscribed right now will get a few songs off my next EP. I'm only probably going to do two for at least a couple people. So, um, you know, um, that's the plan. But if you want to do that, you got to subscribe to the premium. So, yeah. So that's wha- that's that's the only way you're gonna hear these songs before they come out is if you do that. Otherwise, you have to wait until these songs come out. Um, like I said before, I'm not making hard decisions on hard release dates until I have the artwork and the master recordings back. So, as soon as that happens, which will happen very very soon, I'll make it make make up my mind as to when I want to release these songs and the release date for the full EP. Um, you know, I'm just trying to figure out. Uh, the, the sequencing of how many months do I want to have bet- in between single releases and when the final release date for the full EP, I don't know. Still trying to figure that out, but, um, but it will happen soon. Our work is getting worked on, so that's all good. So brainstorming ideas for kind of, what kind of artwork I want for this EP and it's coming and you guys are going to freaking love it. It's going to be so good. Oh man, I'm so excited. Oh shit. So. Anyways, um, I'll stop talking about that. And let's, get, let's move on with this week's episode and this week's song. All right. So um, as traditional with this podcast, I always strive to do something different every week with the show. I always try to do something that is, you know, is, you know whatever I did last week, you're going to hear the polar opposite of, 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 of the last song that I did. Now, last week I, I covered Somebody Love and White Rabbit. I talked about you know psychedelic rock, and I and I did pretty good uh, analysis on the song, and uh, you know the uh, the arrangement, and I talked about the history behind Jefferson Airplane. I talked about psychedelic rock again, and by the way, you know the whole the, that whole genre of music swept over across the pond too, with Cream too. So there was there was you know wh- the the folk the folkie musicians of England also got in the drugs, and you know. And also that happened over in the UK as well, so that's a whole other story. But now let's talk about something completely different. Let's do a completely different song from last week. Okay. So here's the thing about this song. Um, I figured that you know it's we're kind of in a very weird time right now uh, in our society, and some of the things that were popping up before COVID are starting to pop back up again like mass shootings and, you know, really, you know, just just really not fun stuff that we just that's just a part of our reality. So here on this podcast though, you will not this is not a political commentary podcast, so you're not gonna hear me talk about things like that. You know, we, we, we already know it's it, it it's part it's part of our reality. So why do we need to be reminded of that? Um, you know, so uh Basically, um I'm when I when I when I do this podcast, it's gonna be an escape from uh you know the uh you know the, the daily reality which we deal with all the time with mass shootings and you know other nasty stuff like anti abortion and stuff like that. But now let's talk about something different. You know? So we're gonna do a song that is just one of the funnest records of all time. And, you know, there was a point in my life where I was not necessarily keen to doing songs like this. Um, you know, I've always been sort of a, a, more of a serious song kind of a guy. And it took me a while to warm up to records like this because I've, you know, it's for a long time. I've always been very anti dance records. Cause I, you know, the thing is, is that the reason why I was so anti dance record is because the lacking of lyrical beef in a lot of these dance songs, the fact that these songs were just, just had the most meaningless lyrics of all time, just like really, really not, you know, good lyrics. And I just, that's what made me sort of like, I mean, you know, just, you know, in at one point I was like, I hate dance records because they have the dumbest lyrics of all time. And I just can't listen to them because it's hard for me to sink my teeth into what they're saying because the lyrics are basically meaningless. But, what made me turn my head around with with dance records and the reason why I started to fall in love with them more than I did before is simply because of the musical aspect of it and more importantly it's it's also because of the the musicianship on these dance records the grooves the 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 chemistry that these that these musicians have on these records you know you know the they the musicality that goes into these dance records cuz look a lot of them had the most basic chord changes of all time but the way the the interactions that these musicians had on these dance records and you know the the the, the chemistry that these players had when they were playing on these dance songs it's unfreaking deniable i mean the the musicality and the musicianship you hear on these dance songs is just, it's it's so good, and you know it's just it's one of those things where it's like normally when it came to a lot of these '60s productions, is that sometimes I feel like with a lot of them, you know, especially in the pop world, you know, their their arrangements were so tight and so air they were so airtight where the musicians had no wiggle room to just cut loose and just you know let a rip and just you know really just you know get into their to their real, you know, improvisational musician sort of aspect of themselves. Um, because the arrangements were so tight where they had to follow exactly what was written down on paper by the music copyists who were working with the arrangements, coming up with the arrangements for these songs. So, I mean, there was just no room for the musicians to just go crazy. But on records like this, this was a completely different story, because on records like this, you can just hear the musicians go nuts. I mean, these guys, they're just going absolutely apeshit. And that's the fun part about listening to records like this is that you can really hear the musicians just cut loose and they're just having a great time. And it's just, it's fun, fun by, fun had by all for, for recording sessions for songs like this. I mean, it is just, I mean, and that's the thing is that the carefree innocence of music from this time period of the early 60s is just so underestimated by rock music historians that they just they kind of gloss over that and go into more of the serious part of the 60s with like the singer songwriter the beginning of that with bob dylan and folk rock and psychedelic rock and they kind of forget about the carefree innocence of music of the early 60s and just how fun that music was I mean, you know, I just, you know, the records like this are just a total blast to listen to. And you, they're just songs you just want to crank up as soon as you hear it. Like, as soon as you hear songs like this, you want to turn the volume all the way up and just go nuts whenever you hear songs like this. I mean, the, these songs are just so good. And I can't wait to dive into this one. It's one of the funnest dance records I've ever heard in my entire life. It's so good. I can't wait to talk about it. Okay, so this song was recorded in, Mar- in February, March 1963 and released in April of that year. It's by a group called the DeVells. The name of the song is called You Can't Sit Down. Hey, pretty baby, you can't sit down. Don't you hear the drummer thumping? You can't sit down. You gotta shake it like a crazy. You can't sit down. Cause the band is saying something. You can't sit Everybody out. is a-jumping. You, you gotta slap up. this record kicks ass holy shit man this is one of those records that just it is it is balls to the wall rock and roll and holy crap do I like this song oh man it is just got it just there's so many good things about this record and even though Lyrically, it's not that great. Holy shit, musically. I mean, this is this is one of those records, that, like, like I said before, you definitely want to crank up whenever you listen to it. This song just kicks butt. Oh, my God. And we're going to talk about what makes this song so good, both musically, but not kind of skim over the lyrics because the song doesn't have the deepest lyrics. But we got to talk about the song's music. Okay, so here's, here's the thing about this song. I'm not going to go in too much detail about the chord progression, because it's 12-bar blues. I mean, literally 1-4-5-4, that's it. You're in F major, F, B-flat, C, B-flat. That's basically what you got going on here. But the thing about this song that makes it so good, and the reason why this record is just unbelievable, is the arrangement and the musicianship on this record. It is so good. I mean, oh my god. I mean just just the way that this, the differentiation between sections of the song I mean just listen to how in the in the verses it, it, there are certain sections where it's totally sparse where you don't hear anything except for hand claps and you hear you know like little little stabs of the chord changes like you hear the and you hear that you hear that sort of hook with the organ and the bass and the guitar, and then you hear the hand claps, and then you just hear sort of the 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 you know just this is when it really kind of this is the most high energy part of the song because, I mean, literally from the f- zero one into the into the first second of the song, you just hear that organ come in that that where it is that it does that you know hand swell thing and then just jumps right in, and holy shit that is one of the Greatest sounds ever. I mean when you just hear the organ come in and then you just hear that the hand claps and Then you just hear the, the 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 band come in just oh so slightly with that rhythm that the da that part It's kind of like a one four kind of a groove going on there. I have to be flat and you just Hear hear the slight change of the the harmony. Oh my god. I mean this record is just so good and also Really when the song that that's just a warm up, right? Kind of kind of get you get you loose, get you on the dance floor. And then once the drums come in, you hear the drummer playing that fill, right? That just really just gets you going. And then you just every everything just goes so crazy once you get into the chorus. Holy shit. I mean the the band is just cooking. The organ player is going absolutely insane playing all these playing this this really cool counter melody and then you hear the drummer just going nuts just playing this this groove that is just so infectious and you're like wow I mean you just cannot help but just get your body moving when this song comes on. I mean it is just like really really cool. I mean it, it, you know you hear that and it's just unbelievable. Holy shit and here here is the other thing about this song too. You just you hear the hear the organ, right? And the organ is just 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 crazy. I mean, this guy is just going nuts. I mean, he it, the the energy in the song is so high, and the organ just oh my god, he the the riff is so so high energy. I mean, this I mean he's just you can tell they're just having a ball. They're having so much fun. Recording the song. I mean, it's just, it's so intense at the same time, though, but it's so good. And also, the other thing is the bass line on this record is super cool, too. Now, here's the other thing I want to mention is that sometimes, a lot of times in in pop music and rock and roll, too, within the 60s, you know, I mean, there aren't, there, there are some songs that are, you know, bass heavy, but not everything is super bass heavy. I mean, for a lot of times in certain genres, subgenres of rock and roll at this point in the 60s, the bass line is kind of an afterthought. The bass is not very important. But then you hear other things, too, in the arrangement that kind of distract you from the bass line. But the bass is whatever. Just do something basic, something not too complicated. But the thing is about the song is that this is one of the cool this song is one of the coolest bass lines ever. And the way it's mixed on this record is incredible too. Like, you know, the bass is recorded really, really hot on this song. And when you listen to most mixes of this song, you'll hear the bass loud and clear, especially if you have good headphones and you're listening to this record through a good pair of speakers. I mean, you're always gonna hear that bass. I mean, even through mono versions, stereo versions, this bait that bass is just like it's undeniable. I mean, you hear you hear that bass line, and you kind of it kind of makes you even if you don't know how to play bass at all, it makes you want to pick up that instrument, and try to figure out what the hell the bass player is doing, because it's so intricate. I mean, there's there's so many different things going on within within uh, within his parts that he's playing. It makes you really want to figure out like, okay, what is he doing? And all, that's the other thing about this song, is that it's also an electric bass part. And this is kind of early in electric bass game. I mean, electric bass was still kind of getting, people were still kind of getting used to the idea of electric bass player. Because at this point, this is 1963, so people, you know, at this point in the 60s, people were, for the most part, hearing very orchestral songs with percussion and timpani and strings and background singers. And no one, no one ever really, you know, and on those records, no one pays attention to the bassline because there's so many other things in the arrangement in the song that are there that distract people from what's from the from the bassline. I mean, the line's like whatever, dude. Like, I don't really, I'm not listening for that. I'm not listening to that record to the, to the this record for the bassline. Listening to it for everything else, the percussion, the strings, the horns, the background singers. I mean, that's what I'm listening to it for. But the thing is about this song is that. When you hear that, when you hear the the electric bass part, it just it's so infectious and so proven that, it, it, it's sort of on the cusp of what James Jamerson would do later on, in the sixties and kind of what he was already doing at this point in the sixties because he was getting there, with his basslines. His basslines were getting even more and more complicated. I mean, this kind of came out around the time of Mickey's Monkey, so you know the the basslines were kind of getting really starting to get complicated, and James Jamerson was just beginning to sort of plug in and play his electric electric p-bass, but he was still kind of committed to his upright bass. So this is kind of early in the electric bass game. And sometimes electric bass parts are not super, like, you know, they're not grooving. I mean, they're kind of melodic. They kind of have something that is not like, but this is just like, I mean, this is a bit electric bass driven song for sure. It is so, so good. I love, love this record. And also, the saxophone, oh my god. The, the lead saxophone on this record, and that's the other thing, you know, if you're listening to the song for the first time, you're like, Sam, what is this record? I've never heard it before, i never heard of it before, but it's really, really good, but what is it about the saxophone player? Why is he playing a solo on this rock? Why don't they just get someone to play lead guitar? Well, guess what? This is the early 60s, so at this point in the game, lead guitar wasn't it wasn't like the the top line priority for 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 rock and roll records. At this point in the game, the saxophone was still really, really important for at lead for the lead instrument, the guy that was just gonna go crazy on the solo. I mean this is it's all about it was all about the the tenor sax. I mean that was that was it at this point. Like if you had a good tenor sax player, the record was cooking. I mean it was all about the lead tenor saxophone at this point in the sixties. And this the guitar solo thing really didn't really take off until a little bit later. I mean, with the exception of Ricky Nelson, we had James Burton play lead guitar. But I mean, this is this is early '60s. So at this point, no one gave a shit about the lead guitar player. It was all about the saxophone. That was that was the prominent instrument in rock and roll at this point in the early '60s. It was all about the lead saxophone. And and you know, if you think about it, that's kind of interesting to think about because. Nowadays, you, you don't even hear saxophone at all in mainstream music. It's like, whatever. It's like, I don't even... lead saxophone solo? Ooh, that sounds cheesy. Well, guess what? It wasn't cheesy back then. I mean, it was basically... You know, that was the sound of that time. The early 60s was elite saxophone. I mean, heck, one of my songs off my upcoming EP has a saxophone solo in it. And it's just... It's a lost art form having a lead saxophone solo on a record. You don't hear it anymore. It's pretty much non-existent nowadays. But that was what was going on back in the '60s. So, there you have it. So hope you hope you learned something from that. I mean, I mean obviously if you're a boomer, you're like, okay, yeah, of course I knew that. I mean, I was there, so I sort of heard these songs when they were brand new. Of course, there, that was the saxophone part. You know, I knew I knew about lead saxophone solos, but if you're millennial or a Gen Z, that you know. It might be something you didn't know already. So I hope you found that educational. And also, like, the, uh, the other cool parts about this song, I mean, I just love this song on this record. The Saxon solo just goes nuts. I mean, he's just really ripping it so hard on this song. I mean, he's just going crazy. And then the hand claps are taking over, and you just hear, like, the, the, the drummer just doing all these crazy fills that are just so split-second so fast. I mean, it's just this record just grooves. I mean, holy shit. I mean, like, this is just, like, and that's really the cool thing about this record. Like, you know, the call and response vocal parts, too, are really cool as well. When the, when the background vocals sing, the, sing the, the hook of the song, that's awesome, too. Like, you can't sit down, you can't sit down. I mean, that is so cool. And then, you know, it's just this record is unbelievable. And now I'm going to briefly get into the song's lyrics and kind of talk about, you know, I'm not going to talk about this in depth, but I'm just going to show you kind of like, give you some good context of lyrics for this song. Okay, so here's the thing about dance records from the '60s and why they're not the greatest lyrically. And this is what, this is something that kind of that's kind of turned me off from a lot of them for many, many years. Um, You know, most dance records from the '60s, it's all about getting people on dance floor. It's all about getting people to get up and dance, right? Um, You know, and when when for records like that, you know, lyrics are pretty much meaningless. It's all about the music. Heck, I mean instrumental music can do the job like that. Who needs words when you all you need to do is just try to get for people to get up and dance? And not every genre of music calls for that. There are some genres of music where you don't want people to get up and dance. You want people to listen to what you're saying and you want people to understand what's going on lyrically and you want people to be able to relate to these to your songs. I mean, you know, when when it comes to, like, when I was going to shows a lot, right, I would go to, like, singer-songwriter nights, and you, nobody was getting up and dancing because people, that was sort of, that sort of a, an environment where you need to just sit down or stand up and just listen carefully and not dance. Because a lot of songs called for that, and it's, it was the same back in the 60s. I mean, you know, a lot of songs just called for people to just sit down and sort stand up and listen and just try to understand what the singer is singing cuz the lyrics are you know in a lot of the songs 60s were very important and and but this is sort of one of those songs in the 60s where really it's all about the groove and it's just about people it's just it, the whole point of the song is to get people to get up and dance so there there is no there's no need for people to like try to figure out the the deeper meaning behind the lyrics of the song cuz there's the song doesn't have any deep deeper meaning behind the lyrics of it it's just it's just a fun dance song i mean it's all about you know you can't sit down can't sit down gonna fly 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 off the ground you know can't sit down can't sit down gonna move 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 right off the ground i mean it's kind of like you know it's just basically the whole point of the song is that when you know when you hear the song you can't sit down you got to get up and dance that's kind of the point of the song right and you know yes there's some outdated you know lyrical phrases like the hippie you know and which is kind of interesting about it because like this is 1963. You know, people weren't really using the term hippie at that point in 1963. You know, so that's kind of cool because it, the, the hippie was more of a late 60s term. But this was kind of cool you hearing this kind of early in 1963. And then and then here's the other thing. So if you happen to listen to this song, and, you know, one of the first lines of lyrics in this song is when you're on South Street, um, and you're, and if you, if you, if you're not from Philadelphia, you're not gonna know where that's where that area is. So let me just kind of explain to you something about that area for a minute, and just talk about with that with you for a second. South Street was a very artsy, very you know, uh, quirky, fun little area in Philadelphia in the '60s, and now it's not. It's kind of run down, and a lot of shit happens. I just heard about a mass shooting that happened over there in South Street, so it's kind of it's kind of, it's, it's not as fun as it used to be, but, um, at the time it was where a lot of the, you know, the cool people were at in Philadelphia. I mean, there were, there were small little artsy businesses. There were like a lot of, there was a lot of fun stuff to do on South Street in Philadelphia back in the 60s. It was, it was a good time, you know? So, I mean, you know, it was just, a, it was just a, it was just a nice little part of Philadelphia. Back in the 60s, and you know, that's where the songs recorded at. And you know, I'll talk more about this next week. But a lot of the songs that were recorded by the same label had cultural references to the East Coast where the songs recorded. So that you know, that's kind of South Street was an area in Philadelphia. So, I mean, I don't if you listen to the song and you're not from Philadelphia, there you go, there's your answer. If you're wondering exactly what that lyrics means, and I'm sure if you're listening to this from, you're from Philly, be like, Sam. I know exactly where South Street is. I'm from Philly. That's where I grew up, you know. So I know exactly what you're talking, about, what you're where you're talking about. But now, everyone who listens to my podcast is from the area, so you might not have a clue where that area is, um, you know. So I just wanted to kind of lighten you about that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, this is just like, um, you know, the song. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's like you're not gonna. It, there's not a whole lot going on lyrically. It's just a fun little dance record, and you know every. It's one thing I've learned about music is that every sort of music sort of has its purpose. Um, You know, some songs are are meant to you know um, you know get people up and dance and get people moving, and then some songs that are you know that you know are are basically you know are are meant to make you think about something or make you. Feel some kind of an emotion, uh, you know, and, you know, this is just one of those happy, good time songs that the whole purpose of it is to, is to just get you to get up and dance when you're at a party or at a show, and I've been to certain shows like that in L.A., I mean, when I saw Tom Kenny in the High Seas, that was the atmosphere of this, of, you know, of, of 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 the show, I mean, it wasn't one of those serious singer-songwriter shows, it was a fun you know, cover song dance party. That's basically how every single show that he does. It's basically just like that. You know, especially when he plays at the Farmers Market in, in West Hollywood. So and the Grove. So and he should cover this song. I think I think it would be a good fit for him. It fits him exactly. If it's the exact kind of vibe that he get that he gives to people when he plays these when he plays his stu- set. So yeah, I mean. That something kind of has to, kind of have to. That's a that's something that I've just learned, you know, over the years. I mean, you know, but I've I for me, I've always been more attracted to more serious songs because I've always been somebody that you know thinks that lyric lyrics are very important when it comes to songs because it helps get helps you know non musicians connect to music, you know, you know when people hear lyrics of the songs are able to connect to the songs more. But, you know, again, like, you know, there's also the power of music and getting people to get up and move and dance. And this is one of those songs that does that. So, at that point, lyrics are not important. But, I mean, in a lot more instances, in a lot of other genres of music, lyrics are important. You know, the message is important. The emotion is important. The lyrics give off. You know, so it's, you know, it's not not every song is meant to, you know, basically get you to get up and dance. You know, so that's just kind of the my takeaway with that. And it was the same, you know, it was like this six years ago, and it's like this right now, so, um, but, you know, for me, it's like, I've always been more a fan of the serious stuff, and that's why I've been kind of anti-dance records for a while, but that's just me, I mean, I've grown to like a lot of this stuff, because, again, the musicianship is really good, and then this record kick, kicks ass, and it just, you know, and I love I love how much fun these musicians had when they played on this record, and the fact that they're playing real instruments, and they're and there's a lot it takes a lot of talent to be able just to cut loose as a musician and not like follow a chart specifically because I don't think they were doing that when they're recording this um you know but that's just my theory on it I don't know I wasn't there I don't know anybody who was in this group I can't ask anybody but um I just I just think they just didn't really follow a chart they just kind of just cut loose and just improvised but anyways um so yeah that concludes this week's episode so that concludes part one of episode number 182. A May 60 music podcast, a millennial throwback machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you liked my analysis on the song, you never heard it before, and you like, wow, this is a really cool song. I'm, I I like these kind of dance records. You know, they're really fun and they're really catchy and they're really upbeat and they're really uplifting. And if you're if you're a millennial, and never heard this tune before, and you learned a lot about it from l- l- listening me break down the arrangement of it. Uh, Please email me at samltwillie.icloud.com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram and TikTok at iHeartOldies. Yeah, please go do that. Um, Let me know what you think of the song. And uh, also check out the last EP you put out last year, too. Link to that in the description of this episode of this podcast. The next EP is coming very, very soon. Um, I'm just going to release the four singles off of it and then the full-length EP. But for now, please go check out the last one and let me know if you think of that. You can do that by emailing me at com. Link to that in the description of this episode's this podcast. And you can also check out the two interviews I did last year with Honk Magazine, Shout Out LA. I'm hoping to do more interviews soon, but I feel like I'm going to have to tap into some, you know, I'm going to need some help with getting more publicity and some more press because um, I just I feel like I I've gotten the ones I've been able to get without any press. But yeah, so um definitely email me uh, after reading those interviews if you like them. If you you know, if you if you if you, if you want to meet me in person if you're based in LA, please go do that. I would love to do that. I don't I don't want to be a stranger with you. Definitely want to meet you in person if you're based in LA after reading those interviews. And if you did, please email me at Sam dot com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at IHartholdies. And another thing you can do is you can check out um the spotify and youtube playlist for this podcast. there you'll be able to find all the songs that i've talked about on my show so far including some of the ones i mentioned interview episodes and last week's song too and this week's song and if you liked those playlists and you would like to let me know what you think of them um you know or if you'd like to send me suggestions for songs to talk about next time podcast and having it Please email those ideas to me at samlcwoolley.com, or you can also reach out to me on Instagram, iHearOldies. And you can check out the official Red Bull merch store for this podcast. You'll be able to find all the super cool merch. And that's one way you can support me with this podcast, other than subscribing to the premium subscription version of this podcast. Please go do that. Um, You can check out the merch and let me know if you think of the merch items in the store and the price of each item in the store. Please do that. You can you can email me at com. You can also reach out to me on Instagram, uh, her oldies and TikTok, the same username. Also, check out the last u- music video put out for Keeper in My Back Pocket. That was such a fun music video. I'm actually... So right now is actually the kind of the one-year anniversary of when we shot the music video because um, we shot it like the second week of June, and I put it out in July, and the song came out in March. So, um, you know, I'm I did shoot another music video, but like I said, the next I re record the song that we shot a music video for, Turquoise Apricot. Um, so, hopefully, I'll get the re-recording of, the, of that back soon, and we can shoot extra footage for the for the music video for that song. So, hopefully, that happens soon. You know, definitely let me know. I'll definitely let you guys know when that happens. Um, but so far no forward movement with that yet. But yeah, so anyways, um that's kinda what's happening with me and uh like I said before, three out of the five songs for the E P are mixed. Um, so by the time probably by next week is when I'll be able to hear the songs before they get sent off the mastering. And the songs get mastered and that's it, and then we'll get to figure out the artwork for the songs and for the singles and then that's when I get to the side, the fun part, which is figure out when I'm going to release these songs because I don't know yet. So yeah. So, um, you know, and look, I mean, for, for those of you who listen to my podcast, you know, I really, you know, appreciate you guys for listening because you're getting a lot of this information that I'm not necessarily going on Instagram and telling everybody. So you're going to, this is kind of exclusive information just for people who listen to my podcast. So I appreciate you guys for listening. So I really do. So, um, next week we'll dive into the history behind, you know, the label songs released on the musicians a plead on it and talk about that too. So anyway, so I'm Sam Williamson. Thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, with the Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please. Keep things moving.